This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join in on the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode or any other, please join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. Hi, this is Tucker Smallwood from Star Trek Enterprise. You're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, Boomers, to another episode of Warp 5. I'm your host, Brandon Shamutella. Today we have a special little interview, and this is going to be the last uh, piece of bonus content that I have from the Albany Northeast TrekCon that happened on the weekend of October 26th. I got to sit down uh, for a little while with J.G. Hertzler, and we got to talk about Kolos, but we talked a lot about his his uh, voice acting, his career as a politician, and uh, and how he tried to portray himself as Mark Twain and what he did there. We talk about his stage work. We talk a lot about various different aspects of his his career. We talk about uh, Martok as well and how Martok compares a little bit to Kalos, uh, the Klingon from Judgment. Uh, but it's a fun little interview and you get a real feel for what it's like to talk to J.G. Hertzler in person. He's a, he's a very passionate actor and he's kind of always on, as you're going to hear in this interview. He's always on, he's always performing, and he's always entertaining. So it was a real joy to sit down and talk with him uh, at the convention and I really hope you enjoy this little interview. So let's just jump right into my interview with J.G. Hertzler. We're at the Northeast Trek Con. I'm sitting at J.G. Hertzler's table. And Good afternoon, everybody. I'm here with Brandon, and we're going to be asking uh, Brandon some questions about his experience in Trek radio and all things related. So, Brandon, when did you first get into radio? Radio? I actually never got into radio, but I got into podcasting in And podcasting, does it involve the actual throwing of pods? It does, yes. Like the uh, detergent pods. The detergent pods. And what is your longest cast, then, uh, of a pod? Would it be... In meters or feet, do you I'm think? from Canada, so we got meters. You are Canadian. Meters, yes, 47. Podcasting is very big in Canada, I understand. Podcasting, yes. Yeah. Well, please, if you have any questions for me, Brandon, <laughs> please feel free. Excellent, right on. <laughs> um, we're here to discuss a little bit of your career, and uh, as I'm the host of the Star Trek Enterprise podcast, I'd like to talk Ooh. to you about Colos. Oh, well, you know, Colos has been a big part of my life because um, my better half, who's sitting here to the right, heard... Colos on on uh, on the TV. She was doing something else. And she heard this voice on the TV, and it's, she said it sounded like it sounded like Stacy Keach, right? Yes. It sounded like Stacy Keach. And she said, "Stacy Keach, what's he's on the television?" So she came over and looked. She said, "Oh, Stacy Keach is a Klingon? Huh? Interesting." 
And so then she found out that character was played by J.G. Hertzler, moi. Um, she said, well, I, I got to get to know that guy. S- because she fell in love with Kolos. Okay. Not with Martok. <laughs> with she, Kolos. But Kolos was the guy. Because Kolos is a lawyer. Mm-hmm. She's a lawyer. Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, the, the, uh, the, what I loved about that episode was that in, Kling, in the realm of Klingon justice... If you uh, are tried and found guilty, not only does the uh, does the accused go to jail, go to prison, but his lawyer goes to prison as well. <laughs> and I said, that's the way it should be. I love it. So, like, I was talking with David Goodman about this episode because he's the one who wrote it. Oh. So David Goodman has gone on to write for Futurama and the Orville. So he's a, and he's he, written He a few. writes on Orville? He does, yes. He I, does, I haven't yes. even seen it. She loves it, and I've heard nothing but great things yep. about it. And, boy, well, damn. I I've seen it. the first five, and then Star Trek Discovery came out, and I got busy with that for my yeah, Star yeah, Trek yeah. podcasting. But I do intend to go back and watch Orville. But what I was watching was good. I thought it was pretty good stuff. But Do uh, people out there in, in uh, podcast land... Oh, there's, a, there's some podcasting now going on. Here's a, We are here at the Royal Podcasting Competition in uh, uh, Albert Hall. <laughs> it's an indoor competition this year. Uh, there's the Queen. She's going to be playing her drum solo before and between <laughs> each podcast. No, please go ahead. The... Um so David A. Goodman, we were talking to him about the episode, and while I was interviewing him, now I, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of Judgment. It's not my favorite episode. All right. of Enterprise. So I'm, I know I'm in the minority on this one here, but um, I was talking to him about it, and I said one of the, he, he, his genesis for writing this is you don't think all Klingons are warriors, do you? And you know, in the fact of the matter, yes, generally you do think that because yeah. that's how Star Trek portrays alien is yeah, monocultures, yeah. right? Right. So I understand what he was trying to do with it, and uh, and it was an interesting take on it. But I got to ask you, so how do you try and make a separation between a character like Kolos and a character like Martok being both of the same aspects. Well, Brandon, the most important thing, of course, is the makeup. You see, <laughs> I, I was very different makeup for Kolos and a, a completely different costume. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I had, I was bi-ocular as Kolos. Um, being the mono-ocularist that I played in uh, in Deep Space Nine, uh, it was a, it was a, challenging uh, task for me to use both eyes in my acting. Um, but I conquered that problem, and then I came across, of course, it was finding the ability to play a lawyer in Klinger, because mostly uh, legal decisions are made with two-by-fours in the Klingon culture, <laughs> and to portray a very sentient, a highly sentient being that... Um, that knows the ins and outs of Klingon law, which is one of the, it's one of the thinnest volumes known to man. <laughs> German, the great book of uh, German humor, and the great book of Klingon law. Um, it's sort of basically you make it up as you go along. And but uh, what was I saying? Well, I'm sorry. What was I? I had a drink of coffee there and tea. It's tea. Lovely tea, by the way, Christopher. Christopher Abbott. He's British, you know. One of my compatriots. Where'd he go? Christopher. Excellent tea. Where are you? And Michael Jan Friedman, of course. He's, he's stacking his 3,000 books. He brings all 3,000 of them to every convention. Excellent. <laughs> it takes him such a long time, but it's well worth it. Look, look at the man. He's got books attached to his head. He's got books attached to his shoulders. They're... Piling up everywhere. Awesome. Sorry. 
No, that's fine. That's fine. So yeah, so we've got we've what got was the your two, question? The two different Brandon. characters. We're saying how do you differentiate and how do you make Kolos different from Martok? Well, the writing is different. First of all, the writing is different. You're, you're, you have different things to say, and really, the uh, the clue to what a person is is what they talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, what, what, what I'm saying in in uh, in the method um, uh, of acting in the method, Stanislavski. Basically, you have you have five or six things. He, had, of course, he wrote three books that that um, are very important to the actor's craft. But it could be, to me, it could be uh, compressed down to five items. One of which is, why am I talking? What do I want to express to that person? What do I want to make him do or or think mm-hmm. or say? And once you di- once you discover why you're talking. That is the clue to who the character is that you're working on. Mm-hmm. What's his background? Uh, what's his background? Why is he talking? What's standing in the way of him getting what he wants? What are the, uh, the physical, spir- excuse me, spiritual, um, uh, emotional, psychological circumstances in which this scene is taking place? And what action am I going to use? What action am I going to use to try to get what I want? That's an actor's job, those five things. We very seldom do all five of them. If we did, we would all be brilliant actors. But we have failures because we don't concentrate. Anyway. Um, so he's a completely different person because his biography is a completely different person. He comes from a different world than Martok. Martok came from the garbage heaps of uh, the Ketholovans. And... In my mind, those garbage heaps were the same ones that surround Mexico City. Okay. So people, somebody rising up out of the garbage heaps of Mexico City to become the president of Mexico mm-hmm. is tantamount to Martok's family rising up out of those garbage heaps to, to the son of, of, um, of Uther. Who, who was that? I say it in one scene. Who I was don't remember. Martok's That's a trivia that I'd lose. <laughs> I think it's Uther. Uther. So Somebody him- would know this. Mickey, I got a question. Excuse me. What was Martok's father's name? Do you remember that? I can Google it. I think it was Uther. Uther. Well, Brandon's Googling now. Okay. Well, while we're Googling... Martok, uh, memory health. House Martok. Sorella was the wife. Let's see if we can have family members. While I'm looking up, I do have a question to tell me what you think of this. So, with Worf on Star Trek 60 Undiscovered Country, okay, um, he um, he played his own grandfather. Right. So on our show, Warp 5, right. we have come up with a continuity that we believe Kolos is an ancestor of Martok. What do you think about that? Is an ancestor? What do you think about that? Um, they both have a... See, in my opinion, and forgive me for getting somewhat political today, but Mar- both Martok and Kolos have a great deal of empathy for other Klingon kind. Mm-hmm. And uh, unlike our current situation in America, we don't have a lot of... Uh, our politicians, especially one that I'm thinking of, has no empathy whatsoever. So he really can't support 
another human being. And that's often what a, uh, what a Klingon is like. He, I mean, in order to ascend in the Klingon hierarchy, you have to kill the standing chancellor. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's a substantial lack of empathy mm-hmm. <laughs> for your fellow Klingon kind. But, but neither Martok, probably, and neither Kolos or Martok were given to that non-empathetic situation. They were more given toward, I will play by the rules no matter what, but the rules cannot violate the, the spiritual feeling of my heart. Mm-hmm. You know? Okay. I found it here. It's, it must be incomplete on memory alpha. They don't actually list the name. They just say Martok's father. It was only so, mentioned once. Yeah. So uh, somebody's got to update memory alpha. Yeah. It's not on here. So uh, I'm thinking of in Arthur. It's Uther Pendragon. And I think they borrowed from uh, King Arthur's legend yeah. to add. You know who would. Was there, is there a writer here? Mark Okren? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but one of the writers from the show. There's Hans Beimler's not here. Ira's not here. Renee Echeverria's not here. Robert Hewitt Wolf's not here. You know, yeah. wonderful writers. That's what makes our show, DS9, yeah. so much wonderful. D- well, D Space Nine's my favorite, so I got the Cardassian tattoo oh, wow. and the Bajoran tattoo. Wow. D nice. Space Nine has always been my favorite. Nice. So. Now, you've done some video game work. Oh, yeah. So, how is voice acting different from physical acting? You were you were giving us a demonstration about your doctor from Earlier, Bioshock yes. 2. Yes. So, why don't you... You know what? We'd love I, to have that on there, you too. Know, I'll, you I'll, do, I'll be happy to. Uh, <laughs> one, of the, one of the first ones I did, I think, was um, Golden Compass. I did a small voice on Golden Compass. Okay. And I don't... Actually, I don't even remember what I did. Mm-hmm. But it's, I see it's on IMDb. I must, I must have done something. It's so long ago. I did... Um, I did uh, Dead Space, um, I did Bioshock, I did Injustice Gods Among Us, I've done, uh, and a lot of Star Trek Online stuff, and Star Trek Armada, and, st- and earlier Star Trek games. Uh, but um, Dr. Grossman was perhaps one of my most favorite and sympathetic characters. He's a gentleman who um, w- dedicates his life to medicine. And he talks like this. um, Don't argue with me! I am a doctor! Do not say another thing! Uh, And so he's very easygoing and uh, a genuine kind of fellow. Too many rectogenos. Way too many rectogenos. He has a direct line like like white, like the Jem'Hadar, right? In, 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 you know... Oh, they came to. They come, they've come to arrest me now. I'm afraid they've come to arrest come me. To arrest us. Yes. Oh, these these monkeys are ruining it again. Are you making a lot of noise over here, guys? Not me. No, it wasn't me. <laughs> it's her. Sorry to interrupt your Thanks. interview, no, it's, but it's good to see uh, you. Uh, <laughs> nice to see you. Get away from me. Don't touch me. Get away. Get away. It's it's funny yes. though. You you you'd mention that you're like I did the cold compass, but I can't remember quite what it was. It reminded me. Of, uh, of something that I heard about a Harry Dean Stanton interview late in his life. Somebody was asking him, and he's interviewing him in questions, and he's asking about the Care Bears movie. And, like, after wow. a few questions, Harry Dean Stanton is like, why the hell are you asking me about this Care Bears movie? And the guy's like, you were in it. And he paused, and he's like, I was? was? <laughs> what did we see Harry Dean Stanton in the other day? What was he in? He was a young man. Uh, it was, uh, oh, Kelly's Heroes. <laughs> Kelly's Heroes with Telly Savalas. There was Harry Dean Stanton. And uh, anyway, uh, he wasn't even credited. I, oh yeah, it was H. It was it was a different name. It wasn't Harry. It was Harry Stanton, I think. 
I think it was, or maybe, yeah, it was Harry Stanton. And I said, no, that was Harry Dean Stanton. Anyway. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, what was the question? That's right. we're, just keeping, we're just going, we're just talking. So, uh, But I would like to ask you, are you still doing your, your uh, political work? So you were, you were running for, if I remember correctly, you were running for Congress and you were doing it as Mark Twain. Is that still going on? I announced my candidacy as Mark Twain. I, I uh, was appearing before the Savage Club in uh, Cornell University. And um, I was speaking, it was so, it's so wonderful to see all you ladies and gentlemen here, especially the ladies, you look so, you always appear to have that, you look like an indoor garden, You're, it's so beautiful, all the colors, and then you have these interspersed, dark, sort of boring, blackish, brownish stumps of the way gentlemen dress, and you know, that's where, that's why I wear white. Or off-white, at least. I wear white because I know when my suit gets dirty. I know when I get uh, a soot or something on it. But you gentlemen in your dark suits, you have no idea how germ-infested, dirt-filled, uh, dust-covered garments there are that you're wearing because you can't see it. So that's why I wear white. Um, uh, what was the genesis of this? Why did you decide to run as Mark Twain? Because Mark Twain... I represent the best in, in the human spirit, and especially the human political spirit, because I can absolutely... Uh, Twain has the ability to... Uh, pardon me while I talk about myself in the third person. But Twain has the ability to um, attack and destroy another politician with humor, so that the politician laughs at his own demise. And that was a great gift that America has, seems to have lost that. We've lost that ability. And um, now we, we just attack each other with, with vitriol, and it uh, leaves everything smelling bad. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so I wanted Mark Twain to speak on my behalf, uh, and there was nobody else around to do Mark Twain. So I, Mark came upon me. Now I'm 138 years old, I believe. And, and uh, I think I'm looking extremely good. Yes. Um, what was I going to say? There was something about Mark Twain. That, well, he, he said some wonderful things about politics, too. He said, you know, politicians are like diapers. They, um, they need to be changed frequently <laughs> and for the same reason. <laughs> yes, uh, Mark Twain was full of wit. Absolutely. He was, he was unbelievable. Yes, yes. Some great stories. I mean. Are you still pursuing this? Is it still going on? No, I, I wasn't able to get. Well, first of all, the the Democratic part, the local Democratic Party in Tompkins County. Once I announced at Cornell, they they asked for a uh, they asked for a, uh, an appointment, and we we got. I've been a Democrat for forty five years, mm -hmm. and I was a member of the Tompkins County Democratic Party as a rep I was a representative. I was on the Ulysses Town Board in my town. Mm -hmm at that time, and I still am, but I, I, I was, uh, and I ran as a Democrat, and um, they called me in and said, you know, we won't be able to, we won't, I, first of all, I want you to know, John, that we will never support a candidate, a Democrat, one of ours, from our county running for Congress in this district, and I said, well, that's pretty negative, right, that's the first thing you have to say to me, uh, because I thought I you know, might really have some sort of a chance because people, I have a little tiny bit of, uh, uh, of uh, public awareness of what, who John Herzler is mm -hmm. because of Star Trek. 
but besides that, I, I thought I could talk to people, and I, and I wanted to, uh, as I said when I was running for, uh, <laughs> as I said when I was running for office in, as Ulysses, I said uh, every all, all the other candidates would talk, and they'd say, "This is why I'm running because my background is environmental news, my background is uh, is statistics, and I understand uh, demographics, and I I'm running because I want to be able to improve this or that or." cut taxes that and I said I'm my name is John Herzler and I'm running uh, because I, I've been an actor for all my life and uh, so I have a great capacity to stand in front of you and talk about something I know nothing at all about for several hours <laughs> so and that uh, that was about the tenor of my campaign and they didn't believe I was serious but I was yeah I registered uh, everything was uh, up and up and uh, I, di- I really couldn't call people for money. I did not like the idea. I was trying to run a campaign that was not based on money in any way, shape, or form. And I, I, and I completely succeeded in that. <laughs> but uh, anyway. Excellent. Right on. Well, I couldn't get the signatures is what I'm trying to get to. No, that's fine. Excellent. Um, so you're, you do a lot of conventions now. How many conventions do you do in a year? Not as many as I used to. Okay. Bob and I, Galron, who's not here right now, but he's being represented by the... The gourd. The gourd. <laughs> if they only could see. The phallic gourd. <laughs> yes, if they could only see this particular triple-nosed gourd um, with the Geico sunglasses. <laughs> this is a weird vision right now. We're looking at this, and there's the, the, gecko, the Geico gecko right there staring at us. And there's Picard, and uh, who was in green? Uh, Kirk. That's a Kirk outfit. Kirk I was think. in green, too? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Back in those few episodes, yeah. Yeah. We're staring at Sharon Gates, uh, her, her creations, which are incredible. Yeah. One of the vendors and a brilliant, brilliant uh, seamstress and creator of small toys and things. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, what, a, what a picture. Oh. Yes. What about, what did you ask me conventions, about Galroy? So, yeah, conventions. Oh, yeah. About um, so you're not doing as many as you used to. No, no, I'm yeah. only doing four or five, four or five a year, year. and I yeah. used to. There was a time when I was probably doing fifteen or twenty. Okay. Uh, back when the right after the show closed. Yeah, yeah. That's twenty years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, excellent. Well, twenty five well, since it started. Since no, it started. Show ended in ninety nine. Yeah, ninety nine. Yeah, excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me, uh, John. I really appreciate it. Can you tell the listeners, is there anything you're working on right now that the listeners can watch out for? I'll work on anything that the listeners want to pay me for. <laughs> uh, you send the check directly to me. You can find my address somewhere, I'm sure. Uh, you, I'll take small bills or large. doesn't matter. No checks. <laughs> uh, I'm working on uh, Christmas Carol. I'm doing um, uh, a stage production of Christmas Carol, which is a play that I feel everyone on the face of the earth should watch in whatever language they speak um, at least once a year because it is about living and loving your fellow man as opposed to making profit the Mm -hmm. only value that has any value Mm -hmm. Um, Fred, go back and read or listen to Christmas Carol Patrick Stewart did a one man show, it's on tape um I've done several incarnations of Christmas Carol. I end up always playing Marley, the uh, former partner um, of, uh, of Scrooge, mm-hmm. who comes to him and warns him, either you change your life right now, Ebenezer, and this is how you can do it. I will show three, you know, you'll have three visitors. Yeah, yeah. And, um, 
And after those three visitors show him what his life has amounted to, he says, you know, basically to himself, you're right. Profit is nowhere in my, in my spirit anymore. I'm going to be, live for mankind. I dare anybody to show me where the word profit exists in the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution of the United States. It's not what this country is about. That's one of the reasons I was running, and that's one of the reasons I love people to see uh, mm-hmm. Christmas Carol. Excellent, right on. Well, if anybody gets a chance to see it, where's it? Where are you performing? Oh, at? the Hangar Theater in Ithaca, New York. In Ithaca, New York. Yeah. Excellent, right on. Do you know when the shows are running? Or are they I running think now? it starts. No, it starts around November for previews. November twenty fourth, mm-hmm. something like that. Right after, right after Thanksgiving, I believe. And it runs until this, uh, Christmas Eve, Christmas December Eve. 24th. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you very much, John. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you, Brandon. Kapla. Now, please, come back often to my podcast because, <laughs> now, oh, I have to do some podcasting right now. Excuse me. Do you have the supply of pods for me? Yes, there they are. Here, just put them in this bucket. Okay. And we'll cast them. <laughs> you can help me cast them, Brian. Uh, Brandon, thank you very much. Um, uh, it's been my pleasure. And uh, come back again soon. I will. Thank All you right. very much.